1: Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for worshiping with us here at All Together. It's August, and this is a very special month because I believe we have been traveling a winding road for a whole long time. Many of us are just tired, and we're going to lean into this emotion because we're tired of debating whether to wear a mask or not. Many of us are tired of debating about race relations and why we are not further down the road. We are just flat out tired. And it's time that we hear what God has to say about our tiredness. And so every week this month, we're going to target a new emotion. We're going to target tiredness. We're going to target loneliness. We're going to target weariness, the need for encouragement, and even the need for endurance. And so tiredness, what is it? Well, tiredness is a natural outcome of work and stress. You can be tired by simply going on a very long run, or you can be spiritually tired where you see racism and where you see the problems and the pandemic of this world. And so, friends, I alone cannot tackle this. And so I have invited a very close friend to meet Jessica. You may know her. She's one of our worship leaders for all together, And she's going to give her perspective on what it means to be tired. And so, Jessica, thank you for being with us today. And I want to ask you, what makes you tired in this season of life?
0: Honestly, for me, it's the constant aggressive noise and vitriol that we're seeing in the news and in social media. Um, It's really just gotten out of hand. And it's so hard to watch issues of ethics and morality being uh, pirated by political parties and then weaponized. And we're seeing people use their stance on these issues as their identities and then using it as a lens to identify others. And what's dangerous about that is when you begin to compartmentalize people based on their perceived political stances or their beliefs um and forget their humanity you make it easy to then dismiss them Um, thus we have cancel culture which is really dangerous um so really it's that and having to have these conversations almost on a daily basis with my children who are 18 and 14 and where these issues and their solutions either do or do not line up with jesus so really that's it's been a lot about that
1: man that sure does sound like a lot And I thank you so much for allowing us into your world to understand what's making you tired. But family, I want us to know today that we are not the only ones to experience the emotion of tiredness. Jessica's not the only one either. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter eight, we will notice a group of people who are tired emotionally, tired physically, spiritually, and even mentally. You see, in the first five chapters of 1 Samuel, we get to find out that Samuel is born to a great lady by the name of Hannah. And Hannah is over the moon excited for Samuel to be born, so much so that she promised God before Samuel was even born that when he was born, she would actually give him to the high priest Eli, who he would just live in the temple and come up in the ways of the Lord. Samuel grew up to be a great truth teller, but the thing about Samuel is he spent a whole lot of time with the high priest named Eli. My brother Eli was a good man, but he had some psychotic, I mean crazy sons. You know, the Philistines in Israel, they engage in a tug of war battle and get into a very big war and something real huge happens. They take the Ark of the Covenant of God. The Ark of the Covenant of God is very simple. It's where God's presence dwelt in biblical times. And so that was chapters 1 through 5, but Jessica's going to take us through 5 through 7. Go ahead. All right. So we're going to pick up
0: the actual location of the Ark of the Covenant now in chapter 5. And the Philistines have taken it and in an attempt to mock the God of all creation have set it in the temple of Dagon in front of the idol itself. That does not go well. Uh, We see... Two days in a row, they come in to do whatever they're going to do first thing in the morning, and Dagon is on his face in front of the Ark of the Covenant. The second day, in fact, it was torn to pieces. The head and hands were completely chopped off. Now, most sane people would have taken that warning sign and said, mm, maybe we should give this back, but they did not. And so the hand of God was very heavy upon the people, and they just, st- they just started to die of plagues, of sickness, and they had a plague of mice come through and completely take out their crops and destroy their economy. After 10 months of this, finally, the leaders of the Philistines and the king say, you know what, we're going to give this back. And in chapter 6, we see them actually walk that thing back to the border. So the Israelites see this, and they rejoice because they know It's a miracle. They heard what's been going on and, you know, how God dealt with the Philistines when they mocked God. And so they went back in chapter 7 now and said, Samuel, we want to follow God. And he said, to do that, you have to do it with all your heart. You have to lay down your idols and discontinue your idol worship. And when they genuinely did that, God gave them victory over the Philistines and peace and prosperity returned to the land. Because of Samuel's leadership, the people's obedience, and God's goodness.
1: And now we approach chapter 8. And Israel has been through such a tumultuous journey with all the fighting, with all the war, with all the chaos, even the taking of the Ark of the Covenant, but yet now they reacquire the Ark of the Covenant. And now Israel, however, throughout all this journey, they're tired. They're exhausted. And yet they say, you know what? Looking at other nations, we need a king. We need a king to replace Samuel because Samuel is getting old. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, that we find these words about what's happening in the life of Israel. Verse 1 says that when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. You see, Samuel has a few gray hairs in his beard, but yet I won't call him old. I'll say he's seasoned. And he has begun to delegate his journeys to his sons, thinking that they've seen his example. They'll know how to follow God and do the right thing. However, Samuel could not be more wrong. You see, Joel and Abijah, they have their own agenda, and they commit to what I would like to call selfish leadership or all about me leadership. They're not concerned about the people per se. They're concerned about what they can gain from the people. And the people of Israel are tired. And we hear the elders in verse 5 that they've assembled all together to tell Samuel, hey man, you've got to do something because these people are living wrong, they're acting wrong, and everything they're doing is just flat out wrong. And this is the truth of the text that we glean today. The truth of the text is this, that tiredness should not lead to haphazard decision making tiredness should not lead to have hazard decision making. You see, yes, I understand that the people of Israel are absolutely tired. But instead of seeking God or even gaining wise counsel from Samuel, these people travel right into the land of comparing themselves to others. And how many of you all can attest that comparison is actually the thief of joy? You see, comparing ourselves to others is tempting, especially in our current society. All we have to do is simply scroll on social media and we get a snapshot of the lives of everybody that's on our timeline. However, friends, we have access, yes, to each other's lives like never before, but that can be a blessing and it can also be a curse. It's a blessing that we can stay connected like never before, but yet it's also a curse because we can compare ourselves to others like never before. A wise woman once told me recently that every minute you spend wishing you had someone else's life is a minute spent wasting yours. Family, this is why people, the people of Israel are tired because they are simply wanting something that's not even ordained for them to have. And guess what? Even in our life, I want you to understand today that it's hard to keep up with the Joneses and to keep up with everybody else and listen in a part-time manner to God. In fact, I want to just step on your toes and you can say, ouch, virtually, guess what? It's impossible to hear God and to listen to everybody else and try to be just like them. Friends, when we become tired, it's easy for us to make the wrong decision. But yet we see right here in 1 Samuel 8 that tiredness is not a reason to make haphazard decisions. But check out what's happening in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 8. You hear these words, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day, I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods with a little G. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king, who they want so badly, will reign over them and will claim as his rights. Friends, understand this today, that consulting God, even in our tiredness, helps us. As Israel is so worried and comparing their lives to that of other nations in tired fashion. They request an earthly king and Samuel is confused. My brother Samuel is frustrated. Samuel is, he's got a bit of anger here because he's saying, how is it that God has put me here and Israel has prospered under my leadership? But all of a sudden, yes, I hiccuped. I had two of my sons get in leadership. They didn't do the right thing. But why does that erase everything that God has done in the past? Catch this. Because we're just like Israel. See, when you're tired and frustrated, it's easy for ungratefulness to slip in. See, Israel in this moment, I'm going to call it what it is. They're flat out ungrateful. They're ungrateful because they're not thinking clearly because they're tired. In their tiredness, they should have consulted God. In their tiredness, they should have said, hey, okay, let's take a step back from the situation. But they're all up in their feelings, and yet they call and say they want something that actually means them no harm and no good. Excuse me, means them a lot of harm and no good. And so, friends, when I'm feeling tired, like in this moment, I'm tired of this pandemic I'm tired of hearing my family members cry over certain things. I'm tired of hearing those close to me be plagued by this virus. But when I'm feeling this way, you know what I do? I halt. I apply the halt principle to my life. And there in this halt principle, I never make a decision when I'm hungry, when I'm angry, when I'm lonely, or when I'm tired. You see, when you make decisions, when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, they're not going to be very good decisions. And when I apply that HALT principle to my life, I know to go directly to God. Why? Because decision-making is above me now. And when decision-making is above me now, I know that I'm not thinking clearly. I'm caught up in my feelings, and I need to go to God because God can handle the situation. And so, my friends, we've already said that tiredness, It's not a license to make haphazard decisions. We should consult God. But Jessica, tell us what happened in verses 10 through 18.
0: So as Josh beautifully uh, informed us earlier, what's been going on in chapter eight, we get to verses 10 through 18. And in in verses 10 through 18, we see a perfect example of how accepting warnings helps us, especially when we see warnings as an opportunity to turn around. God uses warnings because he loves us, because he knows what it's going to cost us on the other side of that warning. This passage of scripture directly addresses what it will cost the people when they reject God as their leader and, and pursue leadership in an earthly king, what it will ultimately cost them if they don't turn their hearts around. So just for a little bit of context, what did it cost the Jews to follow God? So before the installation of an earthly king, the only thing that the Israelites had to really pay in the way of taxes were a small amount of animals and oil and wine and crops um, as a tithe, and it's for their sacrifices. And then there was one monetary tithe that they gave to the temple, that was about half a shekel of silver, which is around $5.35 in today's economy, okay? And that was just to help provide for the Levites and the priests in the care of the temple. But God is trying to warn them from the jump in, verses 10, in verse 10 and 11 that it's going to cost them a lot more than the blood of bulls and goats if they pursue an earthly kingship. So in verse 10, Samuel tells all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said in verse 11, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and he will make them serve with his chariots and horses and they will run in front of his chariots. Did you catch that? Where will he place their sons, their beautiful, strong, loved, cherished children, in front of his chariots? He's going to use them as a buffer between he and his enemies in war, where they will be killed by spears and swords and in violent hand-to-hand combat. The king will essentially make their sons a human shield. But it doesn't end there. The sons that he takes that don't end up going into war will then be taken into the armories to make weapons and taken to the fields to plow. And they will work day and night and night and day. And they won't be home to help their parents do those jobs. So that responsibility then falls back on the people. But they will also be, or have their daughters taken from them as bakers and perfumers. Again, they're taking them away from their parents and leaving them without help. He will also take the best of their crops, their wine, their flocks, their servants, and finally, the king will take their freedom. He will make them slaves. And when that day comes, when the Israelites are broken and burdened and beaten down, and they cry out to God to save them from the king that they themselves have asked for, God will not answer them. Friends, God was waving a big red flag in front of their faces saying, If you do this you will lose everything. So you see when the people followed God, the only blood that was spilled on their behalf for their protection and their provision was the blood of animals. But now God is warning them. If you continue to pursue in your desire to reject me and follow an earthly king, that blood will become the blood of your children. And not only that, that the king would actually take the remaining years of their lives and their freedom we see that accepting the warning signs helps us because God doesn't want us to live through what's on the other side of that warning. He wants us to accept the warning as an opportunity to turn around. So where is God asking us to turn around today? What red flag is dangerously close to you ignoring because you're tired? I know I have them in my own life, but what's yours? Where are we in danger of trading good For just good enough? Is it a relationship that God asked you to walk away from? But you won't because you're tired of being alone and you're tired of waiting on something better. I know that looks like a red flag. It's no big deal. He loves me. He's not going to do that again. I'm going to help him change. He'll change, I promise. Is it a job that God is asking you to leave? Oh, I know I work a lot of hours. And I know I don't get to see my kids' games and recitals, and I don't spend enough time with my wife or my husband, but look at the house I have. Who's going to pay for that? How am I going to afford that? Look at the neighborhood we live in. Look at, look at the schools my kids go to. If I quit now, I'm going to have to start over, and I am too tired for that. Accepting the warnings helps us because we don't know what's on the other side of that warning. We don't know what pit sits On the other side of our tired. But God does. And accepting the warnings helps us because God loves us. Accepting the warnings helps us when we see them as an opportunity to turn around.
1: And so in verses 19 through 22, after all of the detailed warnings that Jessica has outlined for us that are in verses 10 through 18, the people listen more to their tiredness, more to their frustration, than they do to God, and they still desire an earthly king. And the Lord tells Samuel in prayer, give them exactly what they want. This teaches us that half-hazard decision-making, it hurts us. If I fast forward and tell you what happened at the end of this story, the king that Israel wanted so badly came in the form of a man named Saul. And Saul displeased God. He had a foolish, jealous streak against King David. He reignited the conflict and the war between the Philistines and Israel. This war has stopped, but it was reignited under his leadership and he committed more and more actions of selfish leadership. They wanted this king so badly. Saul Well, Saul was so crazy that he went into the temple and murdered priest. And this is how Saul's story ends. He kills himself. All this occurred because the people were tired. They were frustrated. They were caught up in their feelings where they listened to their emotion instead of listening to God. And they believed that they could be the God of their own life and make their own decisions. In this season of life, I think is no secret, we are all tired. We all need help because we are all tasked with still living lives that honor God, that exalt God, that are loving to God and to others, but therefore we still must pursue God. And so yes, in 1 Samuel 8, they were tired of selfish leadership and guess what, we're tired of a pandemic. They were tired of dishonest leadership and we are tired of some of the half truths that we are receiving from our leaders. They were tired of being led by corrupt leaders, and we are tired of a new normal we didn't ask for, racism we didn't bargain for, and more screen time that is not ideal. Yes, we are tired, but this is not a reason to make any type of decision. Yes, again, I tell you, we are tired, but it is not a reason to stop consulting God and to overlook the warnings that God gives us. Friends, even in your emotion of tired, Will you trust God? And your emotions of frustration at this time—will you believe God? And so this this evening, right here, when you're watching this, wherever you are, Jessica and I are challenging you this week to name your tiredness, name that which is draining you, put it on paper. But also, here's the second half of the challenge: write a three sentence prayer. God, ask God to reverse your tiredness, ask God to give you water in your spiritual desert. Because, friends, we are running a marathon, this is not a sprint. And right now, even though we are tired, we need to cling to God evermore. And so, friends, our together takeaway is this before we leave you, it's the sermon in a sentence tiredness is an emotion and reason to reconnect with God. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for us hearing the stories of others who happen to feel similarly to us. And so right now, God, I pray for that man, that woman, that boy or that girl who happened to not know you or have a relationship with you, that you would open up their hearts to establish that relationship today. It's in the name of Jesus that we do pray. Amen. Friends, if you're watching this from whatever location you may be watching and you know that you're tired, you've tried to fight life alone and you're not winning and you need to establish a relationship with Christ, you can do that from right where you are. I invite you now that if you do not know Christ to just simply repeat this prayer after me. I admit that I'm a sinner in need of God's love and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I confess that Jesus is the Lord of my life. If you've prayed that prayer, please know, heaven is excited and we are too. Let us know about it. If you are in the need of any type of prayer right now, you don't have to be tired alone. Simply email us at jscott@spdl.org. at spdl.org. Friends, tired is an emotion and reason to reconnect with God, but also I leave you with this. If by chance the Lord has moved in your heart and you want to sow into this ministry, feel free to go to spdl.org and a giving option is right there. Have a great week and don't let tiredness rule you, but allow God to rule you. Have a good one.
0: Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.